tonight's Bible reading comes from Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, and it can be found on the Church Bible, page 663. So that's Proverbs 1, beginning at verse 1. It's around about the middle of the Bible. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Okay, so the second reading is from Luke chapter 2, starting at verses 41, and all the information's on the screen. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. All right, we'll keep that uh, passage open, Luke chapter 2. Uh, there's an outline, uh, if that's helpful for you, uh, that hopefully got on the way in, give you an idea where we're heading tonight. I'll just get my timer. Now, as I was uh, thinking about uh, this sermon, I was talking with Soph uh, about intimacy and kind of family relationships, uh, and she she shared with me a story about uh, some some girls that she went to, to high school with. In their family, they, they didn't call their parents mum and dad, but they called them Stella and John. That's who they had. They had Stella and they had John. Now, I'm sure the parents had their reasons for uh, doing things that way, but the first things that came to my mind as I heard that was... Where's, where's the intimacy? Where's the closeness as family? You know, mom and dad are such precious words to us, aren't they? N- not just because there's something special about those words, uh, but because of the unique and intimate relationship that, that they are. Those people are with you. They held you when you cried. They cheered for you when no one else was on your side. They celebrated with you when you maybe passed your HSC or your IB. That, that relationship with mum and dad, that's unique, isn't it? That's intimate. 
And, and so it's a strange little episode uh, here as we think about that, as we think about family relationships here in the account of Jesus' life. It's hard to know what to do with the passage, what, what to focus on, where our attention should be directed. Is Mary and Joseph irresponsible parents or something? Uh, I was, my eyes as a parent are drawn to the part where parents lose their child for three days. I can, my heart's kind of beating, you know, imagine what's going on there. Or, or maybe this is, you know, the, the extent or expression of Jesus' kind of teen, preteen angst. Uh, well, given that we're not, uh, that we're, what we're reading here is not just a kind of random family life story that gets dug up at a 21st birthday, but is in fact Luke's ordered account of what has been fulfilled. If we look at uh, chapter 1, verse 4, two pages back, his ordered account, so that, verse 4, you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that we might know the certainty of what we've been taught about Jesus. Well, this episode was clearly included for a reason. It kind of rounds out the space that Luke gives to Jesus' birth and childhood. It tells us something about Jesus, who he is, what he's on about. You see, you might not have noticed, but up to this point, actually, on whose lips have we we've been hearing about Jesus? We've been hearing about Jesus on the lips of the angel, on the lips of Young women as Mary and of old women as she talks with Elizabeth. Men and priests and shepherds, all kinds of people except for the one main teacher who's going to feature in the rest of the gospel, Jesus himself. And so it's here that we actually see Jesus' first words about himself recorded for us. I think there's a couple of things that we're meant to notice as we'll get to. Let's have a look. Uh, a little bit more closely at these verses. Verse 41, come with me, chapter 2, verse 41. If you don't have your Bible open or you can't see one, um, get one or share one with someone. Let's have a look. Verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now there were, in Jewish uh, uh, re- religion, there were three main festivals th- uh, throughout the year. Um, but for those who were living far away from Jerusalem, uh, at this time, it was a, an expression of what well, the devout Jews would, would just go to Jerusalem once a year. Okay, uh, Only men were required to go for the feast. And so the fact that Mary goes along too is kind of an expression of a, a sign of their commitment, their desire to live as God's faithful people. Every year this happens. And, and it's one such occasion that we uh, focus in on, verse 42. When Jesus was 12 years old. 12 years old. Is there any significance to Jesus' age here? He's a, he was at, I remember people at, at uh, Nepean High School when I was at uh, uh, Emu Plains, the 12-year-olds at high school were called 12ies. Um, he, Jesus is a 12-ie. Uh, is there any, any significance? Well, it was normal at age 13 for Jewish boys to become responsible before God when it, when, it come, when it came to their oaths and that kind of thing. And this would have been something that he would have been taught about uh, intensively uh, as he approached, a milestone. Um, but here, he's still referred to as a child or boy. He's not the, the, the little child, uh, the baby. He's not the grown man. He's 
the child or boy. Now, verse 43, when it's time to head home, Jesus sticks around, but his parents aren't aware of it. Verse 44, Mary and Joseph thought that Jesus was with the group, uh, their friends and family. From the village, they would have travelled together for safety, uh, safety in numbers on some dangerous roads and that kind of thing. Uh, but at evening, they came together and they couldn't find him. You know, heart starts to beat faster as a parent. What's going on? Jesus isn't here and now we're a day away from Jerusalem. What's going on? Day one. Well, day two, back they go. They, they hurry back to the city and they get there and they start looking, looking for Jesus. And finally, on day three, they find him. And there's a sense where they can't believe their eyes. They're astonished. There he is, their son, Jesus, whom they've been looking for for the past three, three days. They haven't seen for three days and he's there simply sitting in the temple courts with the teachers. You see that? Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. I was reading this and I was thinking, what well, doesn't sound like they required parental permission notes for their youth activities back then. Uh, imagine how much less admin, you know, their youth ministers needed to do. But it's not just youth who are hanging around. There's a group of people, others there watching on as well, amazed at the insight of this one particular tween called Jesus. They can't believe his answers, his wisdom. He is special, this one. He's different, he's unique. He seems to understand so much about God. Jesus' parents are astonished. And finally, we come to this little dialogue here, which I think uh, in the narrative is actually where our attention is, is being focused to the dialogue here. Let's have a look. Verse 48, his mother says to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then we have Jesus' response, verse 49, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Let's look a little bit closer. Notice how throughout this little episode we've got lots of language about parents and family relationships. Have a look with me. Verse 41, Jesus' parents. Verse 43, parents. Again, 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And again, his mother. And then notice what she says. She says, son, why have you treated us like this? And then... Your father and I are at, we're at pains in our search for you. The family relationships are emphasized here. Your parents, your, your mother, your father. You're our son, she says. But it doesn't seem like you're acting rightly with us here. Well, what about Jesus' response? Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now this last phrase here of Jesus, I had to be in my father's house, it's actually a little tricky to translate. We don't actually have the word house there in Greek. It's a kind of Greek idiom uh, to say uh, in terms of the way it's written. Not that house is a bad translation necessarily, uh, but it's just we don't see the emphasis quite as much. Let me say that it's a bit like the verse says this, it, 
didn't you know that I had to be in the of my father thing or place or insert word here? Didn't you know I had to be in the of my father thing? Do you see what's being emphasised? It's not. It's the who, not the what. It's the the fact that it's I had to be doing something to do with my father. And we can see the the contrast, the 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 tension that's kind of drawn here as Mary emphasises the family relationships, and then Jesus says, oh, "I had to be doing something with my father." And there's that tension there. Let's look at three particular things here: the the, the the fatherhood, the my father that Jesus says, the house bit, and and the necessary. Why why Jesus says I had to be there. Well, firstly, whose house does Jesus say? He says, my father's. I had to be in my father's house. He says that that wasn't Joseph's house back in Nazareth, where he'd probably lived since the family had come back from Egypt. It wasn't Joseph's house, or Mary's for that matter, but God's house. It's like Jesus saying to Mary and Joseph, yes, you are my parents, but there's a bigger, a bigger, more important family relationship that's going on here that, that you need to understand that's going to start taking priority in my life. Now, I think, honestly, this feels quite familiar to us as Christians, quite obviously. Sure, you know, and, and surely, in fact, Mary and Joseph remembered, you know, they remembered what happened back in chapter one. It was only a chapter or so ago. The angel's message to Mary. And even if it was only a chapter for us, surely, I think, if I had an angel appear to me telling me that I was going to have a baby, well, maybe not me, maybe my wife, that my wife was going to have a baby and it would be conceived by the Holy Spirit, then I, I think I would make those connections. It might be obvious we kind of think who the Father is, that the Father is God. Yet the trouble that Mary and and Joseph and even others have in coming to terms with this idea, despite all that they'd been told, really should alert us, really should tell us that this is a massive thing which is going on. This is a new thing which is happening in Jesus. This is an astounding thing in this one, the Son. A new thing in the relationship between God and human beings. You see, in the Old Testament, the idea of of God being Father wasn't new. It wasn't an unknown thing. God was the Father of the nation Israel, in that sense. He'd brought the people out of Egypt to him and gathered them to himself and made them into a nation. He was, in Psalm 68, He's referred to as the father of the fatherless and widows. God had even promised to be like a father to the king of Israel, to the son of David, 2 Samuel 7. But nowhere do we actually read the kind of king calling God my father and using that kind of language. This is still drastically new territory that that Jesus is entering into here in a new way, in an intimate way, in a personal way, Jesus has God as his Father. 
You see, for, for, for Jesus, God isn't just John or some other name. God isn't one of the names from the Old Testament, merely. The Lord, Yahweh, God Almighty, God of hosts. God is Father. For Jesus, God is Dad. And not in an unnatural way, but but naturally for him, uniquely, he is Father. He is Dad. Maybe he's not quite cheering on when Jesus passes his HSC, but I'm sure that he's there when Jesus is on his knees, I think, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's holding and walking with his son through all the things that he has come to do. For Jesus, God is dad. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's it's astounding. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but let's, let's look at the next little thing. The, the, this house, why is it his father's house? What's the house got to do with it? Or The house is clearly connected, Jesus is referring to the temple. Why is the temple important? Well, what do we see Jesus doing there? We see him, verse 46, sitting among the teachers and, and listening and asking questions, discussing the things that God requires. You see, the significance of the temple here and more broadly in Luke's gospel is that it's a place of instruction, a place where people come to understand what God desires, where they're taught. Although Jesus will go on to teach in many places, in Galilee and on the roads and in the wilderness, in all kinds of places, actually we see him teaching with authority in the temple courts in a significant way. And in fact, that's central to the opposition that the Jewish leaders have against him. If you wanted to look later on in Luke chapter 20 and 21, they see him teaching in the temple courts and they try and get rid of him when it comes to that point. You might even say, yeah, that sounds familiar when I say about the words that Jesus said to the Jewish leaders when they came to arrest him. He said, every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you didn't arrest me then. But this is happening the way it is so that the scripture might be fulfilled. The temple is significant because it's a place here where people are taught about God, where they come to understand what God is doing. Jesus doesn't merely have kind of God as his father in, in a personal sense that, that's abstract from what he's doing. He's actually committed to what God's God, God his father is committed to. He's following it through on the ground. He's there. He's starting that new... He's, he's carrying out his mission. And the temple will be a key place for doing that, for Jesus, for doing what his Father has given him to do. Jesus knows he's God's Son. And it's an amazing and astounding way. He's 
committed to what his father is committed to. And that leads on to the last point as to uh, why Jesus says, I had to be here. Why were you searching elsewhere for me? I had to be here. It was necessary is the force of what's going on here. If you knew who I was and what I was on about, like I did, then you'd know for sure that it was necessary for me to be here. Throughout Jesus' life in, in Luke's Gospel, there's a number of things that are necessary for Jesus to do. It was necessary in chapter 4, verse 33, for Jesus to preach the kingdom of God, to go to other towns to preach the kingdom of God. It was necessary in chapter 9 for Jesus to suffer and die and be raised to life. It was necessary. Jesus must go to Jerusalem as he stood in Galilee and knew he was heading towards his death. He must go to Jerusalem, chapter 13. He must suffer. He must be reckoned with criminals. He must suffer and then come into glory. And the scripture about him must be fulfilled. This idea of it must happen, it is necessary, is used to particularly refer to the the heart of why Jesus has come. Something significant about his mission and purpose. And so it's necessary that Jesus even from childhood, was on about what his, what God wanted him to do, on about people understanding what it is God wants, helping people to understand who God is and, in fact, being part of that scene, asking questions even as he grows in wisdom and maturity. Jesus clearly understands something about himself that Mary and Joseph are still coming to terms with. It is necessary because Jesus is the Son of the Father and he has come to do the Father's will. Now what does all this mean for us? Where does this uh, hit us in our seats tonight? Well, in, at one level, we just need to take this in about Jesus about how amazing and unique he is as the personal, intimate son of the Father. See how even his parents and the disciples struggled to grasp this truth about Jesus. This is something amazing, something groundbreaking that God would have this kind of a relationship with humans, with a human. Imagine that. Yet, this is, this is the amazing thing about the incarnation. That God would become man. That God the Son would enter into this world. Yet let our eyes be lifted further because you see Jesus, the, the personal and unique Son of God, didn't just become truly human, to be the only human who would deeply, truly and intimately call God Father. But he did that so that in John's words, from John's Gospel, he might give to whoever believes in him the right to become children of God. And not children just in a kind of national sense, like Israel had that 
you know, God as their father in the Old Testament and not children just like the king, a kind of official sense, like the king of Israel might have had, but children in a true, personal, intimate way that we too might be those who are helped by God in our tears, who celebrates with us. Children of God who are taught to pray, our Father. Children who are made so by being joined up with the one true Son, Jesus. Children who are made so by receiving his Spirit, the Spirit of sonship, the Spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is this is amazing, isn't it? This is the, the transformation of life in Jesus, becoming a child of God. This is the intimacy with God that we, as God's people, God's children, are brought into. Groundbreaking work following Jesus, the one who is the true intimate Son of God. I pray that these, this summertime, that we would indeed take up and rejoice in that privilege that it is for us to say, Abba, Father. Let's rejoice in it together. Amen.